Wednesday night had a better flow even than Sunday morning did. So I always encourage you to come out and be a part of our Wednesday night services. Wednesday night, we expounded upon the doctrinal beliefs of Muslims that included both their five principles of faith that are very uh, particular to their belief system as well as the six pillars that are practiced or expected to be practiced by all faithful Muslims. Now, I shared Wednesday night, and this is why, this is my disclaimer. I shared Wednesday night. It was not my intention to continue to share on Sunday mornings and to actually divert it to Wednesday night. However, I'm going to be honest with you, and that is after seeing some of the events that continue to unfold in front of our eyes in Iraq, in the Middle East, also seeing our response as a nation, I felt after I prayed and meditated and contemplated, I believe it was necessary and is necessary for me to continue in this vein of thought. What we are seeing today in Iraq, what you're seeing through the, through the ISIS, is something that the world has seen for centuries. Hundreds of times these similar events have been played out been withheld from many of our knowledge, uh, but, but, but it is, it's true to history, and that is it's jihad. It's the holy war. It is uh, the Muslim strict interpretation and adherence to the Quran to both t to defend and advance Islam. Now, I know many of you are watching this with me, right? You're following this from afar. And, and we're seeing the, the ISIS both attempt to defend Islam and also to advance it by the means of the threat of violence and the use of violence. This violence, it's hard for us to contemplate because it includes mutilation. It includes beheadings. We're hearing reports of children, of Christian families that have been beheaded. Barbaric. Things that we read about in the past that are as contemporary today as things that we once read about. We're seeing and we're hearing of rape. We're hearing of gang rape. We're hearing also of women being taken into slavery. Now, President Obama and our government leaders are in a difficult situation. And I, I want to just stress that fact. Now, I'm going to be honest and say this. This is another disclaimer for me personally. Normally, I do not necessarily agree with all things that are said by the president. However, in this situation, pastorally, just to say to you, I do agree to a certain degree. I do agree to a certain degree. Of course, he said this in his address to the American public. Americans do not want to be in another war with Iraq or in war in Iraq. And I, I agree. Most Americans grew weary of that conflict. However, he said this, and I think that we should agree, Americans do not want to sit idly by and watch a genocide take place in front of our eyes. And so, therefore, uh, I am in agreement. I can't speak for you, but I speak for my own convictions. I believe a military response was both needed and warranted and will probably uh, need to accelerate in the days ahead. But one thing I want to be honest with you that I would like to hear from a prominent national leader, it wouldn't have to be from our president, but though I would like to hear it from him, even though that I know that it would be potentially offensive uh, in certain parts of the world. It could even uh, certainly risk isolation. But I would like to hear a prominent national leader 
simply just come forth and say, perhaps a part of the problem is with Islam itself, with the ideology and the theology surrounding it. That's what I would like to see, somebody to come forth and to just be honest. Because here's the reality. Let me just share this with you as I set a foundation from where I'm going to take you in a few moments. Who and what we are labeling terrorists, what we as Americans in the Western civilization is labeling terrorists, terrorists are actually true Muslims based upon the Quran, its history and its teachings and the practices of its founder. So we're labeling them terrorists or extremists when in actuality they are true Muslims to the Quran because as they wage jihad, they are propagated by the principles that they have extracted from the Quran. Muhammad waged it and they're waging it and they're fulfilling it to the T. And so let me just go a little further with you today and begin to shift back to where I'm going to take you in a few moments. In my studies in the last couple of weeks, and I have learned what many scholars have, have given us information concerning, and that is the Quran, the, the Muslim primarily holy book, in essence, that in their mind supersedes all other holy books, is actually filled with historical inaccuracies. It is filled with errors and even contradictions. And it supposedly respects Jesus as a great prophet. But there is a key doctrine that is woven into the fabric of the Quran that was supposedly revealed to Muhammad in his visions from Gabriel, the archangel. The archangel. And that is a belief that contradicts a doctrine that you and I hold to and, and hold to with all of our heart and our soul. And that is that Mohammed contradicts our belief that Jesus is the Son of God. The Quran supposedly affirms the Torah and potentially affirms the, all the entirety of the Old Testament. The Quran affirms the Psalms. The Quran affirms the Gospels. But the Quran blatantly opposes the Christian belief that Jesus is the Son of God. Listen to these direct quotes from the Quran. It is not for God to take a son unto himself. Again, Muhammad says, they say God has taken to him a son. Say rather, those who forge against God falsehood shall not prosper. Muhammad continues, Praise belongs to God who has not taken to himself a son. Muhammad says again, Warn those who say God has taken to himself a son. A monstrous word it is, issuing out of their mouths. They say nothing but a lie. But who does greater evil than he who forges against God a lie? And lastly, he says, They are unbelievers. They are unbelievers... That's why, to a degree, the Quran empowers people to actually wage jihad against the unbelievers who are the unbelievers. The unbelievers to the Muslim, to the strict teaching of Islam, the unbelievers are those who say, God is the Messiah, Mary's son. So you can see that we have a distinct contradiction doctrinally. 
in a belief system held by 1.2 to 1.8 billion people to Christians around the world. Now, even modern Muslims take strong exception to the Christian belief in both the triune nature of God and the doctrine of the Son of God. Dr. Adele Elser of U.S. Islam, as I, I studied his teachings the latter couple of days, he's taught, and listen, he's, he's taught us that the doctrine of the Son of God, this is his teaching. If you go in online, U.S. Islam, this is the doctrine that is being propagated to men and women in America. It is that he teaches that the doctrine of the Son of God is contained in the Bible to the Gospels of John and the epistle of 1 John, and it is only in the King James Version of the Bible, a version that he claims is filled with defects and errors. He wants us to know, now listen, he wants us to know that the term Son of God is applied to other beings or people in Scripture, such as angels, Israel, Adam, Melchizedek, and the church. Let me explain for just a moment, or let me expound. I want to say this. I agree the term sons of God is applied to the angels, to Israel, to Adam, and to Melchizedek, and to the church because the first four are prophetical pictures. They foreshadowed he who was to come. They are images First that which is natural, then that which is spiritual. You and I have no problem with seeing the terms Son of God applied to Melchizedek, to angels, to Israel, to uh, Adam. We have no problem. The, the fifth one is it's applied to the church. The Apostle Paul referenced the church as sons of God. Well, that's because we understand the effects of the cross. Because before the cross, Jesus was called the only begotten of the Father. But after the cross, he's called the firstborn among many brethren. Glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah. We know him as father today because of the effect of the cross. So I don't have any problem with that doctrine today. He notes again, Dr. Adele Elser notes again, that primarily in the Gospels, only the devils reference him as the Son of God. Remember when Jesus would cast them out? And, and he would say, Jesus, they would say, Jesus, we know who you are. We know who you are. You are the Son of God. I don't have a problem with that either. Yes, they knew who he was. He was there when they were cast out of heaven. And he'll be there when they're cast into a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Come on, somebody. So, yes, they did know who he was and who he is. He notes again, Jesus primarily referenced himself as the Son of Man. How many of you have noticed that in Scripture, in the Gospels? He's referring to himself primarily as the Son of Man. That's connecting to the teachings in the book of Daniel that were messianic prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. It was a revelation of the dual nature of Jesus Christ in his redemptive role, in his human flesh. He took upon himself human flesh. It was necessary for him to die as the Son of Man. But he had a dual nature. He had divine blood. He had an earthly mother but a heavenly father. And so therefore his blood had not been tainted because the Father's blood determines the blood type. And so Mary gave him flesh, but Mary couldn't give him blood. But the Father, by the word, gave him blood. And so Peter looked back on it and said, we were not redeemed by corruptible things like silver 
silver and gold, but we were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So it reveals to us as the Son of God and the Son of Man the, the dual nature of Jesus Christ. Jesus incarnate in the flesh was the only being both in heaven and on earth and under earth that had the qualification. He had the components and he had the ability to satisfy the redemptive demands of the law and provide eternal redemption for all of us. Hebrews chapter two, chapter 2 says this, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is, come on somebody, the devil. Jesus took upon himself the nature of man, the son of man. Thank God that he did. You know, as I contemplated the doctrine of the Son of God, I was brought into the awareness that the doctrine of Jesus as the Son of God was the original argument, the original argument that was made by the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Not that he was a great teacher. They affirmed that he was a great teacher. Was it that he was a great religious leader or a miracle working worker? They affirmed this. But their argument lay with the doctrine of the Son of God. Listen to what they said, John 19 and 7. The Jews answered him as they accused him. We have a law. This was before Pontius Pilate. The Jews answered him and said, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. Mark records it, again, the same conversation. But he held his peace. This was actually later, not before Pontius Pilate, but this was prior. This is when he was before the Sanhedrin council. And he held his peace and he answered nothing. And then the high priest asked him directly this question. Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? He responds and said, I am. And I believe that he was and that he is. But let me say this. Now, did Jesus make himself out to be the Son of God or did the Scriptures accurately predict the varied role of the Messiah, the Messianic King who would come? would not only be a king, but he would also be a son, the son of God. Let's ask ourselves that question, see if we can answer it biblically today. In Psalm 2, a messianic psalm, David is writing under the inspiration of God, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he writes these words, I will declare this decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, wrote these words, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, for God is with us. Now listen, the Muslims claim that they believe in the virgin, virgin birth of, of Jesus. But listen, how does a virgin give birth in the natural realm in which we live? Unless it is the seed of God. Isaiah saw again and wrote these words, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful. His name shall be called Counselor. His name shall be called the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. That's Jesus, church family, today. That's Jesus.
And so I believe, if we continue for just a moment, that it wasn't simply that Jesus made himself out to be the Son of God, but he said in John chapter 5, Search the Scriptures and see, for in them you think you have life, and they are they which testify of me. He knew even in John chapter number 8 when he said, Before your father Abraham was, I am. He already knew that the Scriptures had foreseen and foreshadowed his coming. And so Hosea would write, When Israel was a child, then I loved him, and I called my son out of Egypt. And so when Matthew is looking back into the birth of Jesus Christ and the initial persecution by Herod and the angel awoke Joseph in a dream or from a dream and said, you need to flee to Egypt. Matthew looks at it and it says this in Matthew's gospel chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 that when he, Joseph, arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and he was there until the death of his Herod. And so Matthew being an astute Jew and knowing the scriptures is now writing to us and say that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying out of Egypt have I called my son I want you to know today I don't believe that Jesus Christ necessarily made himself out to be the son of God but that God in his infinite wisdom had already prescribed and predicted that the Messiah would come not only as the messianic leader of the people of Israel but he would also come as the offspring of God the son of God and he gave it to us many thousands of years in advance so that when he would come we would know him he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him to them gave he the power to become even the sons of God. You and I are now brethren with Christ. Amen. Because of his redemptive work on the cross. Hallelujah. So what I'm affirming to you today is a belief that is held, uh, that, is, that is being opposed in the ideologies and the theologies of those that are Islamic by nature. And we're going to eventually become confronted with this more and more as Islam advances all around the world. And we have to know what we believe. Come on, we have to be firmly persuaded. And I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe in that audible voice that declared him to be the Son of God. Remember at his water baptism, he came up out of the water and the scripture says the heavens are parted and a dove descended upon him and an audible voice said these words. This, come on, that same voice had not been heard in that nature since Mount Sinai when God conveyed the law of Moses to the people audibly for them all to hear the Ten Commandments. That same voice that spoke on Mount Sinai was heard that day declaring that that man, Jesus, was the Son of God. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Peter, James, and John heard that voice again on the mount called the Mount of Transfiguration. And Peter would later write about it in his epistle. Let me read to you what he said. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. Now remember, Peter was there with him in his majesty. He said, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. We made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses. Peter said, I was there with him. Come on. He was there. He ran to the sepulcher that fateful day on resurrection morn. He looked in. He saw the grave clothes over in a corner and the face, you know, a napkin folded up by itself. He was there in Galilee when the darkness of the room was driven away by the brilliant light of the resurrected Son of God. He heard him say to Thomas, Thomas, reach hither and touch my hand and put your hand into my side. Thomas, be not faithless but believing. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. He said, we didn't follow cunningly devised fables. We were there. We walked with him and talked with 
with him. We heard him teach. We know him. We were there on the Mount of Olives when he ascended up into heaven by the power of God. And he said, and we heard a voice on the mountain. Out of the glory of God came this excellent voice. And that voice said this. Remember what Peter was wanting to do? Peter had seen uh, Moses and Elijah. And he said, we're going to build three tabernacles. We're going to build a tabernacle and honor Moses. We're going to build a tabernacle and we're going to honor Elijah. And we're going to build a third tabernacle and honor Jesus. And that voice, uh, that voice, that voice of God said, this is my beloved son. You need to hear what he's got to say. Don't build any tabernacle but a tabernacle for Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's that awesome voice. Jesus' own disciples would confirm him as the son of God. And you would too if you'd have been in that boat with him that fateful night. When you thought your life was about to die, the storm was about to overtake you. You were despairing of life when you see coming, walking across the water. Remember what the author of the book, Slavery and Terrorism and Islam, that I read last week, he said, Mohammed could ride a camel. Come on, somebody, but Jesus. Come on now, that's who I'm talking about. I don't know what kind of image. I know we got a Superman that can fly and a Flash that can do it. Listen, I'm talking about the real world here and Jesus superseded, come on, gravitational laws and he just walked right across the water by the power of God. And when Peter saw him, he was afraid at first, remember? He said, Lord, if that's really you, he said, call me to come to you. And so Peter had the courage to get out of the boat, walked on the troubled sea for a short period of time, but he got distracted like many of us do and took his eyes off Jesus and when he saw the storm instead of the Savior he began to sink and he cried out and said Lord would you save me and God is gracious so through the person of Christ he reached his hand out and he caught Peter and he lifted him up and then Peter walked on the water back to the boat and when he got in the boat all the sailors the disciples eyes were as large as saucers their chins were at the bottom of the boat and they fell down at his feet and you would too if you'd have saw such a thing in front of your eyes they said truly this is more than just just another man. This is the Son of Almighty God. Hallelujah. So now we are seeing the scriptures confirm him to be as the Son of God. God's audible voice has been heard confirming him as the Son of God. His disciples who walked with him confirmed him to be the Son of God. But listen to one of the most respected prophets of any generation of both Judaism and Christianity, John the Baptist. 400 years of prophetical silence. No one had heard the authoritative voice of God. Nobody had the anointing for 400 years in all of Judaism until that fateful day that John stood on the banks of the River Jordan and began to cry out, Repent! My God, thank God for men with boldness and anointing that stood there, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And on a fateful day, as thousands are coming to him to be baptized, his eyes were fixed on one solitary figure who began to walk down the banks of the River Jordan that fateful day. The Bible says, And when John saw Jesus coming unto him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Oh, hallelujah today. He said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And then he lets us know about the secret voice of God that had whispered in his spirit previously. He said, This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now, wait just a minute. He was before me. Now, if you check the genealogical record, Mary was six months behind Elizabeth in the conception of a child. Oh, y'all catching what that's saying. Hallelujah. 
It was six months later. So John is six months older. And so he said, he's coming after me, but he was before me because he was there in the beginning. And I knew him not, but that he would be made manifest to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John said this. He said, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom that you will see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, that's the same that will baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And John said, I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Hallelujah. This is the Son of God. Did you know I noticed as I've studied that Jesus himself, he did not like to. He did not like to give witness to himself. But he did occasionally answer the question and affirm the doctrine that he was the son of God. Do you remember the blind man that was healed in the temple? And after he was healed, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. of The Sanhedrin had examined him and cast him out. The Bible says that Jesus later found him. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Do you believe in the, on the Son of God? And the man said, Well, he said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said to him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Would to God that all men would believe that he is the Son of God and worship him. Later in the very next chapter, in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John, the Jews are questioned. Remember, this is the question that resulted in the trial that led to Jesus' crucifixion. It's the question whether or not that he made himself out to be the Son of God. So as John is looking back on one of the conversations previously made between Jesus and the Pharisees, the Jews answered him saying, for a good work. Remember when they attempted to stone him? They attempted to stone him on more than one occasion. And they hear they're attempting to stone him, and, and, and the Jews are saying, For a good work we're stoning thee not, but for blasphemy, because that you are a man, make yourself God. And Jesus answered them as he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, or the Psalms, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are God's? If he, being God, called them God's, into whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken... He said, say you of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world that you're blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God. He said, if I don't do... Now listen to what he's saying. As he's affirming this doctrine that I'm sharing with you 2,000 years later that Jesus is the Son of God, he's saying, if, look what he says. As he attempts to affirm this doctrine to those that are listening, if I don't do the works of my Father, then don't believe me. So what he's saying is, if you're not going to believe me just based upon my teaching, then just believe me based upon what I do. Because nobody ever did what he did. Are y'all with me today? Come on, think with me for just a moment. He's saying, if you're not going to believe me just based upon my doctrine, he said, then believe me based upon my works. Because he said, wherein have you ever heard of anybody opening the eyes of the blind, of stopping deaf ears? Come on, raising up the, the lame people. 
cleansing the lepers, standing outside of Bethany's burial chambers and looking to the four-day dead carcass of, of Lazarus and say, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus came forth because he's the resurrection and the life. Wherein has any man ever walked on water? Wherein has every man, any man ever broken bread and multiplied and fed the thousands? Wherein has any man ever transcended the laws of gravity and moved from one room to another room by, by the supernatural power of God? Where is, any, is there any man like that man? No, there's never been a man. There was never one before him and there's not one like it. He is the Son of God. John the Revelator, in his gospel, we know he affirmed him as the Son of God. In his epistles, we read last week and this week, but did you know in the Revelation, he said this, These things saith the Son of God. Now, I've got two final witnesses that we're calling to the stand today to affirm to you the doctrine of the Son of God. And perhaps no greater witness to the triune nature of God and the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine of the Son of God than the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul. Listen very carefully. I want to, give you a, I want to show you a brief comparison between the Apostle Paul and Mohammed. I'm going to be honest. I don't even like to compare Mohammed to Jesus. Because to me, that's not, that, that's worse than apples and oranges. Come on. I mean, that's a sexual pervert applied a comparison to the Son of God. Okay? So I don't even like to, to do that. But at the same time, I will make that analogy or that comparison between the Apostle Paul and Mohammed, if you'll allow me to, for just a few moments today, very quickly. Both claimed revelation from God. Mohammed claimed to have a revelation from God. But so did the Apostle Paul. Remember what he said in Galatians 1? He said, Brethren, the gospel that I preach is not after man, for I didn't receive it of man, neither was I taught it, but it was by the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I received it. I wasn't an apostle that walked with Jesus. What I know about Jesus, I received by revelation. Right? Are y'all familiar with what, what Paul is saying? Mohammed claimed to go to... Did you know in the Quran, Mohammed claimed that he was taken up into a vision to heaven from the temple, but the temple had been destroyed 500 years earlier? Maybe he didn't get that memo. And so, but the Apostle Paul, many believe that the Apostle Paul was caught up into heaven. 2 Corinthians tells us that the, he said, I knew a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. He was caught up into heaven. The third heaven, and he heard unutterable words. He heard things that could not be uttered. Most theologians believe that he was referring to himself. Mohammed was a polygamist. Paul was celibate. Mohammed physically harmed unbelievers. So did Paul. Until he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. And he would never lift his hand against another man from that day forward. Though he himself would suffer severe persecution and beatings because of his faith in Christ Jesus. Did you know that Mohammed was illiterate? He could neither read nor write. But the Apostle Paul was one of the most intellectual and educated men of his day and their writings reflect it. And so the Bible says in Acts 9 that after meeting Christ on the Damascus road, he immediately preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. They're going to flash a few scriptures. You read it and I'll close with one final passage in just a moment. Romans 1, Paul said, he is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Romans 5 said, if you and I were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. How much more being reconciled shall we be saved by his life? 
2 Corinthians 1 and 19, Paul said, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus. Galatians 2, many of you know this by heart. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by what? By the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 4, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. And lastly, in this context of Paul, we know not whether he wrote the book of Hebrews, but in Hebrews 1, the writer there affirms Jesus as the Son of God. And I will skip that passage for the sake of time today, and I'll bring the final argument. I want to thank, make one final argument to either validate the doctrine of the Son of God in the heart of the listener and to potentially contradict what I would believe would be the error of the Quran. And I want to go back to what I shared with you yes, last week for just a moment before we turn. And Phil, when we go to the book of Luke for just a moment, I want to do that one verse at a time if I can, if possible, one verse at a time because I want us to read it together selectively. As we go back and trace the history of the birth of Islam very quickly, uh, looking back to last week, Islam itself affirms that, that Muhammad was approximately the age of 40. Again, he's illiterate. He has an inability to both read and write. But while meditating in certain caves outside of Mecca, he begins to experience visions. Now, historians have concluded that those visions were accompanied by convulsions. Those visions were accompanied by foaming at the mouth. Those visions had body shakes. They were, they were, tor they were tormenting visions. He thought he was demon-possessed. You and I would concur. Are y'all hearing me? The Bible says that an angel of light, that, that Satan himself is transfigured into an angel of light. During those visions that he experienced supposedly for the next 23 years, the next 23 years, the angel Gabriel supposedly came to him and brought the clarification to him that the, the Jews' religion and the Christians' religion was in error and that the... The, their teachings and their books had become corrupted and he was uh, being taught the true word of God which he would share, he would not write it down because he could not write. He would hear what the angel would say and then he would share it with his followers. Now, one of the dangers of Islam is that as you follow the book of the, uh, you follow the, uh, the Quran, it changes theological positions because it changes theological positions based upon revelation. If Mohammed says one thing to address a certain situation and later it goes wrong with him, he receives another supposed revelation and then he changes the position. I said Wednesday night and I'll say it again. If Islam was being formed today in 2014, we would watch it on 2020 and we would say it's a cult. That's what we would say. If we saw the effects of it that was taking place... A man goes into a cave, supposedly has revelations. His body convulses and shakes. He begins to share things that he hears. He begins to embrace polygamy. He marries multiple women. He uh, marries a six-year-old, consummates that marriage at nine years of age. He authorizes bloodshed on behalf of his religion. We would look at it and we would decry against it. All across the known world, we would say it's a cult. 
But now we're taught that it's a religion, it's a peaceful religion, and it's akin to Christianity. But I say it blatantly opposes Christianity. It's the spirit of Antichrist. And you and I need to be bold and strong and full of faith and power. We have to resist the spirit with all that is within us because it's deceiving the multitudes. And we need to be strong in what we believe. Well, I want to share with you, perhaps there's one witness that we have not looked at closely enough, just very quickly. So Mohammed claims that Gabriel told him that God doesn't have a son. But I want to go back and I want to look at the original testimony. Let's find out what Gabriel had to say. If Gabriel is the one that he's saying is said that God doesn't have a son, let's go back and see what Gabriel had to say about the situation. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. We got to visit that city two years ago. To a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Go slow with me. The angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, for the Lord is with you. You are blessed among women. How many agree with that exhortation? She was blessed among women. 29th verse. And when she saw him, she was troubled at that saying. How many ladies would be troubled at that kind of saying from an angelic visitor? that appears in your house or catches you as you're walking along the way. And she's just perhaps 14 to 16 years of age, and the angel of the Lord speaks to her, and he calls her favored among women. And she was troubled at this saying, and she doubted or cast in her mind, and she wondered what manner of salutation is this. The 30th verse. Remember, now who is this angel that's saying this unto her, captured by the pen of Luke, the beloved physician? This angel is Gabriel, and he said unto her, Fear not, Mary for you have found favor with God. 31st verse, let's go. And behold, now hear these words. This is the testimony of the angel Gabriel. Behold, Mary, you will conceive in your womb and you will bring forth a son and you will call his name Jesus. And he will be great. How many believe he's great today? I want to come down here. I want to see it with y'all. Because I want it to be just like it was in my office yesterday. He'll be called the son of the... He'll be great. He'll be more than a prophet. I'm sorry, Mohammed, you missed it. He'll be more than a prophet. He'll be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Now notice, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever and of his kingdom... There shall be no end. 34th verse. And Mary, when she heard these words, she questions. Rightful question. Good question. So everybody say that with me. That's a good question. If you're a virgin and you don't know a man, then that's a good question. How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? This is outside the normal, natural order. And the angel Gabriel answered and said unto her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, the holy thing that shall be born of thee. Come on, somebody. I'm sorry, Mohammed, you missed this one altogether. But Gabriel said by his own mouth that holy one that will be born of you will be more than a prophet. He'll be the son of almighty God. Glory to God. 
Hallelujah. He is the fairest among 10,000. He's the bright and the morning star. He is the rose of Sharon. He's the first. He's the last. He was dead. He's alive again. He is the son of Almighty God. There's none like him. There will never be any like him. His name is Jesus. He's the son of Almighty God. Hallelujah. And today, come on, I worship him today, and I want you to worship him with me. Listen, it's a turbulent day in which we live, ideologies and theologies. Come on. This is a, a round peg in a square hole. Come on, they're not, they're not, it's not mes meshing. Christianity and Islam are not friends. We will be friendly and kind as long as people aren't threatening to kill us. Hello? Paul said, live peaceably as much as you can. Come on. I'm telling you, those ISS folks, they ain't going to Shirley, I can tell you right now. Yeah, you want to get somebody, you go up to Shirley and get those Christians. Hello, somebody. We got some home folk up there that... <laughs> You may get them, they're going down. They're going down swinging, I can tell you that right now. <laughs> so let me say this. We live peaceably and we live quiet. That's the will of God, to live a quiet and peaceable life. But these ideologies have opposed each other for 1,500 years, and they will continue, and it's been overseas, but it's drawn ever so closer to your and my home. And we've got to know in what we believe. Salvation. There is salvation in no other name but in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And it is our firm belief that there will come a day, there will come a day totally distinctly different than the teachings of the Quran. Jesus Christ will return, but he will not live for 40 years, get married, die, and be buried beside Muhammad. Hello? He tasted death one time. For all of us, he's eternally live in the presence of God and he will one day return and rule the nations with a rod of iron and all men everywhere will bow before him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so will you. And that's why Christianity is evangelical. Brother Darrell, join me on the platform we close today. You know, we can sit here in America and we can sit here in somewhat of the safety, the safety of the Bible Belt, the somewhat safety of the Bible Belt. And I understand that in one sense you can say, well, Pastor Brown is taking a bold stance. You know, what I'm taking is not necessarily a bold stance. It's the people that are resisting the Spirit in Iraq or Syria or Damascus, are y'all hearing me, or Iran, that, that have faith in Christ and are living it out or in the midst of this hostile. That's the people. That's the people that are taking a bold stance. And many of them are paying with their lives. And we have to realize, church family, that this is life or death issues. This is life or death. We've made the church in America just nothing more than a social club. Feel good place. Come. If you're down, we'll try to lift you up. Listen, that's not what this is about. He said, if you don't come into this house with this doctrine, we're not to even bid you Godspeed. You know, because then you can look at ISS or ISIS or whatever and you can point a finger at them, but if you don't believe in Christ as the Son of God, then your doctrine is just like theirs. You just may not be violent. Hello? 
The doctrine, the doctrine matters. What you believe matters. And that's why as your pastor, if I do anything, I'm going to stay as, I'm going to continue to be doctrinal in a generation when churches are rejecting sound doctrine. We're going to reaffirm what we believe and why we believe it. We're going to trust in the name of the Lord. I believe with all of my heart that Jesus Christ validated his own words through his death, burial, and resurrection. He predicted his death, where he would die, when he would die, and how he would die, and at the hands of who would slay him. It came to pass exactly as he said. He looked at his disciples and said, All of you like sheep will be going astray because the shepherd will be smitten and the sheep will be scattered. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the, of the fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But I will be raised again from the dead, he said, and I will appear unto you in Galilee. And he did. That's why we say he is the Son of God. He accurately predicted his death. It came to pass exactly as he said, and he was raised again triumphant over death, and he's not bothered by death any longer. He's not just a deity or a G-O-D little God. He is the Son of God. And if you have the doctrine of the Son, you have the Father. And if you don't have the doctrine of the Son, you don't have the Father. Now, do you hear that today? You say, Pastor Brown, that's really a, that's really a hard line. Uh, yes, that's exactly right. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Right there it is. That's what. Now, here's the thing. You can look at it and try to interpret it however you want to make it feel right for your theology. But if you change the meaning of it, then you change who he was. Because if he is an heir in any capacity, then he's not the Son of God because God is not a man that he should lie. He's true and his word is true. And so when Jesus said there's no other way, you can't go through Hare Krishna, you can't go through Buddha, and you can't go through Muhammad. If you want to know the Father, you've got to come through Jesus. And that needs to be preached in the sands of Iraq as well as it needs to be preached here in the valley in Heber Springs. That's the truth of the gospel. Our heads are bowed, our eyes closed in the presence of God. It is the doctrine of the Son of God. It's the doctrine of the Son of God. The Son of God. Do you know Him today? Do you know Him? Have you surrendered your life to Him? Have you come to Jesus and obtained the free pardon for your sins by simply trusting in Him as your Savior? Trusting in His redemptive work? Knowing in your heart that He died in your stead? Knowing that you deserved the judgment of God because you were a sinner? Like sheep, you had gone astray, but God laid on him on the cross your iniquity and my iniquity, and he suffered judgment for us. And today the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today. This doctrine has to be more than on a piece of paper. It has to be more than a sermon. It has to be written on the fleshly tablet of your heart today. Do you know him as the Son of God? If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know him as the Son of God, my Savior, my Redeemer, my Lord, and my God, but I want to today. 
Pastor Brown, would you pray with me today? I'll pray with you today. Is there anyone, if you are here, and that's you, slip your hand up today in Jesus' name because I would love to pray with you today. Anybody, I'm standing across this beautiful congregation of people. Is there anyone? I'm going to ask everyone to stand up with me today.